Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Dalton steps up, picked off at the 40-yard line, Isaiah Simmons, Simmons down the sideline, Simmons inbounds, Simmons all the way. And that's pretty much all you need to see and hear from Thursday Night Football. The game changes in two bolts of lightning in the desert with a couple of pick sixes. The Cardinals pull away. The Saints spend the rest of the time trying to catch up. He's Peter King. I'm Mike Florio. The show is PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. Learn more at googlestore.com. Hello to our Peacock audience, Sirius XM 85. Sky Sports NFL, I think we're live today. I didn't check if we are. Hello and podcast audience. We're definitely not live. Definitely not live on the podcast. Peter? We have news that broke during the game. We suffered through two miserable slogs on Thursday Night Football. And then we finally get a game with more than 20 combined points. And we get the Christian McCaffrey cannonball dumped into the shallow end of the pool as the game was ending. An unbelievable development. And it causes me to say to all the Cardinals fans out there waiting for a full breakdown of the game, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer because the Panthers trading Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers is the top story today. Yeah, Mike, uh, you know, so much of this uh, is a shock, I think, to everyone. Um, Not necessarily the Christian McCaffrey got traded. I think there was a good chance, obviously, that was going to happen. The Panthers don't want him anymore. They want the draft capital because Christian McCaffrey has missed so much time over the last two years, been healthy this year. 
but he's missed so much time that they knew they couldn't build a future around a running back uh, who had been so hurt the last two years. So they trade, and even though their cap takes a gigantic hit, um, they can afford now for their cap to take a gigantic hit because they're throwing in the towel on this season. They don't have a quarterback. They don't have an offensive weapon. They don't have one of their wide receivers now who they all dumped this week. So the one thing I would say about this is that the 49ers, I'm not saying it is a gamble because I understand why they did it. But Mike, they traded a two, three, four, and a five. And especially for a team that does not have a one next year because that's the last remnant of the Trey Lance trade. Uh, they've traded that to Miami already. They will not pick in the top 100 of this draft. Now, they do have at least one third-round compensatory pick coming um, from uh, compensatory picks that come from the uh, minority hiring of both Robert Sala, Martin Mayhew, um, elsewhere, obviously. But and Mike McDaniel. The one other thing, and Mike McDaniel, excuse me. But the one other thing about this is that Carolina now has gotten a bump in its draft, which is really all it cares about going forward. Carolina needs players. And they have made some unwise trades in recent years. The Sam Darnold deal, as it turns out, an unwise trade. So I think each team, it's understandable why they did it. And Mike, the 49ers don't have to pay Christian McCaffrey a lot over the next couple of years because I'm sure they're going to redo the contract coming into next year. But it's, it's still a gamble for San Francisco to totally denude its draft next year to get a guy who they think can help them get to the Super Bowl this year. He's got $35.6 million coming over the three years after this season. His salary this year was down to the minimum of $1.035 million because the Panthers had done a restructuring to knock down the cap number for this year. What that means now is cap number accelerates, and they do take that huge cap charge. But for the 49ers, you're paying under $12 million a year on average for a guy that was getting $16 million a year on average under the deal that he signed. So the Panthers have paid a lot of the money. But from the 49ers' perspective, and let me say this first, I mean, this is an F-them-picks trade by the 49ers. This is San Francisco doing what the Rams have done and others have done. And I've said this all along. To make an F-them-picks trade, you need a team that's willing to say, we want the picks. It's the old Reese's peanut butter commercial. Your chocolate's in my peanut butter. Hey, it tastes great. You need to have chocolate and you need to have peanut butter. So the Panthers had to be willing to do it, and they are. And I want to talk about them because they're tanking, and that's okay as long as you don't say you're tanking. Or if you do, you can convince the league office you were joking when you said you were tanking, even though you were tanking. But for the 49ers, this is an all-in move. This is one of the things we saw the Rams do last year, they trade for Von Miller, they sign Odo Beckham Jr., they load up the cannon, and they go get it. And this is the latest 
effort by the 49ers to close the deal. In the same week, Peter, that Kyle Shanahan is being reminded as he watches film of how close they got to the top of the mountain. (coughs) 10-point lead with seven minutes left in Super Bowl 54, and they blew it to the Chiefs, who they play on Sunday. You want to get back there, you got to be bold. Fortune favors the bold, unless you're buying crypto. But that's what they're doing. And it's a gamble. It is a gamble. It's a calculated gamble because if you get 2019 Christian McCaffrey, you've got Roger Craig, one of the guys who, along with McCaffrey and Marshall Falk, coincidentally who played for the Rams at the time, with 1,000 rushing yards and 1,000 receiving yards in the same season, if he's healthy. If he's not, you're going to hear it relentlessly at a time when you're already hearing it for Trey Lance and you're already hearing it for other failures that have kept them from getting to the top of the mountain, whether it's not waiting for Kirk Cousins, and they would have at least one Super Bowl championship, I believe, if they'd waited for Kirk Cousins, not taking Patrick Mahomes when he was available, not saying yes to Tom Brady when he wanted to come play for the 49ers in 2020. It's just another thing Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch can be criticized for if it doesn't work. If it does work, though, they finally get the Super Bowl that the 49ers organization has been coveting since Super Bowl 29 when Steve Young threw up Gatorade on your shoes in the backseat of the car after he finally got his championship. You know, Mike, every every time you, you mention that, all I can think of is Barbara Streisand. Memories. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you know, the one other thing, you talk about the money that Christian McCaffrey is owed over the next three years after this year. Mike, I will be shocked. I mean, unless he rushes for 1,400 yards and doesn't miss a snap the rest of the year and is great and they win the I will be shocked if the 49ers don't get that number to come down. Well, well, well time uh, out. Know, time just, out. But Peter, Peter, yeah. what, what, I mean, he's got leverage now. He says, F you, pay me. What are they going to do? They gave up four picks to get him. He's due to make $11.8 million next year. They can get next year's number to come down by reducing eleven point eight down to $1 million and change and kicking cap dollars into future years. They can restructure. But if I'm Christian McCaffrey, I'm happy today because I'm getting my 35-6 over the next three years one way or the other because this team has given up a 2, a 3, a 4, and a 5 to get me. They're not going to cut me after one year. They're not going to cut me after a second year. Now, maybe after 2023, they'll throw in the towel if it just doesn't work, and they'll say, we're not going to compound our losses by paying him $24 million over the last two years, but I at least know I'm getting my 11-8 next year. They're not going to cut him. They, they could try to drop the cap number, which gives him greater security because then they'd have to take a big cap charge to get rid of him. So I think he's more likely today than he was yesterday to get the 35-6. Yesterday, he's maybe looking at getting cut after this season or being squeezed to take less. Next year, he's getting $11.8 million. It's just a question of whether it's signing bonus or salary or a combination of the two instead of it being a base salary. Sorry to interrupt you, but we'll ha- I-, I think he wins. We will I have he a little... wins here. We'll, we'll have a little friendly Macanudo bet. Okay, and that is that that is that sometime in the next calendar year, okay, that his contract will be redone and it won't just be a restructure for next year. 
his contract will be redone to give the 49ers some advantage, uh, especially in the last two years of the deal. But let's, let's take money off the table. You know, the way this works for the 49ers is because right now, Kyle Shanahan understands what his offense is. His offense is a receiver-friendly offense without a great running game. And I think what he wants to do, and he understands running backs get hurt. That's been the history of Kyle Shanahan. Going back to Jarek McKinnon, who they paid a bunch of money to, and he played for them for about 10 minutes. And, you know, because he was always hurt. So running backs get hurt. They have a premier running back who, and this is a gigantic if based on his history, if he stays healthy, you cannot tell me that there is a better, there might be equal, okay? There is not a better running back wide receiver combination in football than Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel as far as dangerous weapons. And when you have an okay quarterback, not a great one, but an okay quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, that becomes essential. And so to me, I kind of look at this and say that I understand why the 49ers did it. But if Christian McCaffrey repeats his injury history of the last two years, then the 49ers are not only going to be let down, but come draft day next year, they can all play, just go play golf. (laughs) You know, because they're not going to have a pick until like pick 103 at the end of the third round. Well, and Peter, that reminds me of the old Ricky Williams trade when Mike Ditka with the Saints gave up his entire draft plus the first round of the following year to get Ricky Williams. And at a time when we believe that the NFL has evolved beyond that, where it's a passing league with quarterbacks and receivers getting yeah. all the money, it makes it more that, that stunning. That makes this shocking. Yeah. Right. But it, but it tells you that, I think they plan to use him all over the place. He'll be part of the short passing game. He'll be a weapon like a Debo Samuel. You won't need to put Debo Samuel in the backfield this year down the stretch and compromise his $25 million per year plus in salary. He can stay at receiver and not run between the tackles and risk getting injured. And it's important to point out because – Christian McCaffrey has gotten dragged the past couple of years. He appeared in only three games in 2020 due to injury, seven in 2021 due to injury, and people criticize him for it. Folks, it's the nature of the position, and you're going to get hurt. That's how it works. Rashad Penny, just days before he broke his leg in a game for the Seahawks, said, as an NFL player, I'm getting hit by guys that are 300 pounds. Safeties are tackling at my knees. It's not easy to stay healthy. I thank God when I come out of the game every day now. I'm thankful I'm healthy. I know what it is to be a football player. And it's a higher level of that when you're a running back. You are rushing into two walls of large human beings. Those who are trying to block for you, those who are trying to hit you from every angle, at every level of your body, you're going to get hurt, which makes it even more of a gamble for the 49ers because Christian McCaffrey 
is more likely than not, Peter, going to get injured. He's three years older than he was when he started 16 games and had his 1,000, 1,000-yard season. He's been banged up since then. He's had three different injuries he's appeared on the report with in 2022, shin, rib, and thigh. It's just a matter of time. Pick a body part. It's going to show up at some point on a running back injury report. That's where the 49ers are really going all in and really hoping against hope that they can get healthy Christian McCaffrey for the rest of this year, all of next year, and then after that, they see where they are. If I was going to make that bet, I'd say they're not going to get that. That's what makes this so gutsy. And I don't want to say it was wrong because history may prove it right, but I think we're more likely to be talking about, yet again, 49ers in desperation mode, step on a rake and do something stupid and make it harder for themselves to win. Mike, you know what just occurred to me, and I just looked it up right now because I thought it was that case? You know, probably the greatest running back of all time. Well, we'll argue about this for a long time. But in my opinion, the greatest running back of all time is Jim Brown. Jim Brown played nine years for the Cleveland Browns from 1957 to 1965. He won three MVPs. Uh, He won two, four, six. He won eight rushing titles. He's pretty darn good. Here's the amazing thing about Jim Brown. He never missed a game due to injury in nine years. And he played like he was in the roller derby every game. Excuse me. I think what one of the things that says is that he was 230 pounds or whatever he was getting tackled by guys who weighed 230 pounds and 250 pounds, maybe max in some cases. Now, there were some bigger guys, but it was a smaller game then. Now, Christian McCaffrey, who works like a banshee in the offseason to stay healthy, you know, and to stay upright, it's so hard to do it because you're right. The people on defense are so much bigger. But it's always amazed me that when you look at runners, from three generations ago. You see them, they play all the time. <laughs> they didn't miss game, they didn't miss many games. And that's one thing. But the second thing is I will bet, Mike, <clears throat> that Kyle Shanahan going forward, and I, I look, Christian McCaffrey will I, I heard this morning that he will be at practice today in San Francisco. So what that says to me is, oh, hey, take your time, uh, clean out your apartment or your house in Carolina, see you on Tuesday. No, no. I think they might try to use him on Sunday in an important game against Kansas City. Now, this is not a game, I say it's an important game. It's important for the overall standings, but obviously it's not an NFC game, so it counts a little bit less in the standings, but I'm sure that Kyle Shanahan understands that this game so often is about seeding and about winning your division and all that. So he's not giving up any game. 
I bet he has a little package uh, for Christian McCaffrey on Sunday. Yeah, I saw reports last night suggesting it would be a red zone type of a situation for McCaffrey. But that's why you do the deal on Thursday night when no one else is looking. And the Rams are on a bye week, so they don't even have a game this weekend. They were the other team that was trying to get him, but they didn't have the ammunition to make it happen. And if I'm McCaffrey, I'm picking the 49ers over the Rams anyway, if I have any say in this. And he's a big enough of a star player with enough of a financial burden that comes with him to have some leverage if he doesn't want to be there that's going to be a factor in whether I want him I want the 49ers over the Rams because the 49ers have an offensive line that especially when they get Trent Williams back will be very very good the Rams are still trying to figure out a combination and trying to keep guys healthy they just lost Joe Noteboom for the year Andrew Whitworth is gone and he's not coming back if I'm McCaffrey I'm saying give me the 49ers over the Rams but again again it's a risk for the 49ers. It is a calculated risk. I'd love to be able to psychoanalyze and or hypnotize Kyle Shanahan and get to the bottom of whether or not he felt motivated to do it because of the memory of blowing the Super Bowl to the Kansas City Chiefs and how hard it is to get back there and everything they've been doing to try to grind their way there. And, you know, we've been so worried about quarterback, maybe – we just need a game-breaking running back. But it could blow up in their faces. And if it does, I don't know. Is it the death blow for John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan? Time will tell. It just depends upon how much they get out of McCaffrey. But you have to accept the very real possibility he is going to get injured. And there's no damn thing anyone can do about it. And this is a team, Peter, that has injury issues right now. And anytime a team has a rash of injury issues, I say, is there something more than just bad luck? Is there something about how they're practicing, how they're eating, how they're training, their flexibility, their rest? Is there something that is making these players more likely to get injured? Because every week you see guys get twisted up into knots and they pop right up. And sometimes they don't. And so that's another issue for the 49ers as this thing goes forward. But I agree with you. They're going to put him on the field right away. We'll see what he can do. And will he will he make a difference in a wide open NFC West? We shall see. Let's talk about the Panthers for a second, though. On the day they fired Matt Rule, David Tepper, meeting with the media, was asked by Darren Gant, who works for the team. So it's kind of a gutsy question to ask your boss. I respect that by Darren. Basically, how do you strike the balance between winning games during the remainder of a lost season? That wasn't Darren's word, but that was the gist of it, versus getting yourself to the top of the draft order. And Tepper said what he had to say. You try to win every game. We try to win. We always try to win. We always try to win. Okay, fine. Then why'd you trade Christian McCaffrey if you're trying to win every game? You're not trying to win every game. You're not. You're thinking about the future. You're consciously making your team worse this year in an effort to get picks that will make your team better and possibly more attractive to whichever coach you're trying to hire next year. That's it. That's the truth. And they're never going to admit it. And the NFL is never going to want them to admit it. But they have engaged in not a full-blown fire sale. Who knows? There's still another week and a half left in the trade period. But they've traded away one of their best players, one of their biggest assets, for four draft picks because they're thinking about 2023 and beyond. They're not thinking about 2022. So, of course, they're tanking. Whatever words you want to use, rebuilding. I guess that's a fancier version of tanking. But they're setting short-term 
win the game interests aside in the name of long-term, put a team together that can win mentality. Mike, um, we oftentimes, you know, when things like this happen, we say, well, you know, if the season ended today, blah. Well, if there were no more football games, the Carolina Panthers today would have the first pick in the 2023 NFL draft. And, you know, I think one of the reasons that makes that very interesting is that now they're in the pole position to win the first pick in the draft. And David Tepper saw what happened in Miami, okay? You know what happened in Miami? Toward the middle and end of the season, everybody knew that they wanted the first pick in the draft. After Joe Burrow beat Alabama, whenever that was, in November for LSU, uh, after that happened, everybody knew that Joe Burrow was the first pick in the draft. (coughs) Excuse me. So now Miami finishes with the, I think, the fifth overall pick in that draft because, you know, because obviously they won too much down the stretch. You know, and that that probably enraged Stephen Ross from what we hear. Enraged is might be too strong a word. Disappointed at least. But what the Carolina Panthers have done in enriching their draft stock for the next couple of years with these two trades this week, even though the, the Robbie Anderson thing was just a minor deal, um, if they're able to get the first pick in the draft next year, then they're going to have their choice of whoever turns out to be the best quarterback in this crop in a pretty good year for quarterbacks. And if I am the Carolina Panthers, I'm doing just what I have to do to be in the pole position to get the number one pick in the draft. And it's not tanking. We're evaluating our young players. We're assessing who's going to be here long-term. We're trying to figure out what we have, yada, yada, yada. Just don't call it tanking. The NFL is fine with it as long as you don't publicly say what you're doing. The Browns had a formula on a four-year plan with all sorts of factors that created financial incentives for the coaches in the front office, and those factors were not tied to things that would lead to winning lowest, you know, if you have the, the among the five uh, lowest actual payrolls for the year, you get more money. If you stockpile a certain number of draft picks, you get more money. That's an incentive to rebuild and to think about the future over the present. And the NFL didn't whack them for that. The NFL doesn't want people to realize that tanking happens. So the NFL is going to look the other way whenever, wherever, however it can to say it's not tanking even when it is. And Peter, here's the other side of this. David Tepper is going to want a great coach. He knows the value of great coach, great GM, great quarterback. So if you got the first overall pick, that's an attraction to a coach that has options, a coach who may be in demand, a coach who may be coached in the division for 16 years, who's available. And if you've got all these other pictures stockpiling, it makes it easier to give that free agent asterisk coach's former team the compensation they may be looking for to do the deal. Although I don't think the Saints are ever going to trade the rights to Sean Payton within the division, it allows David Tepper to say, I can get any coach I want. 
who's available, and maybe I can try to get a coach who in theory isn't available but could become available if I make a couple of phone calls. And he's allowed to call any other owner he wants and initiate the conversation. What would it take in theory to get your head coach? And if they work out a deal for what the eventual compensation would be, then Tepper has the right to call the coach and say, hey, your team has allowed me to talk to you about working for me. I'd like to talk to you about working for me. Why not call the Steelers and say, are you ready after 16 years with Mike Tomlin to move on? Just curious. Is Tomlin ready? Just curious. I can give you some draft picks. that can make it worth your while. Anybody, any coach out there you want, call the Patriots about Bill Belichick. Hey, has it gotten stale? Is he ready to move on? Not that he would. I'm just saying, having all this extra capital doesn't just mean getting more players. It means positioning yourself to go along with that first overall pick to possibly throw enough on the pile to get yourself a Super Bowl winning coach. So let's not overlook that side of it. That's the other incentive to maybe trade more of these other guys that they have that they look at and say, we're better off with what we can get for them than what they can do for us in the future. The Sean Payton question will be very interesting because if you are the Saints, this now gives you the latitude to say to the Panthers, okay, listen, if you want Payton, we want your next three twos. Okay, or, or something like that. You're not going to get their one next year. That's the quarterback. Uh, whatever it is, you know, maybe you take next year's two plus Brian Burns. I, whatever. You, you figure out something that could attract the Saints. Okay, now, normally I think you're absolutely right. They're going to say, we are not trading Sean Payton in the division. But on the other hand, if you can reach some kind of agreement with the Saints, normally I would say that I, I would. This is just a gut feeling that I think Peyton would like to explore, if he can, somewhere new. If it's not going to be Dallas, maybe it's the West Coast. You know, a team out west. Who knows what happens with the Chargers? What happens? You know, will Pete Carroll ever retire? You know, Sean now, uh, Sean Payton has a home in Idaho. Who know? I, I have absolutely no idea what he would want to do or, or what. But the one great, exciting thing that if you're Sean Payton and you start talking Carolina, it's that you say, hey, listen, you get to pick your quarterback from this tabula rasa, this blank slate, Look, there's four quarterbacks in this draft that, depending on who you talk to, McShay, Kuyper, who, whoever, you got four quarterbacks who a lot of people think are franchise quarterbacks. Sean, pick one. Craft him in your own image. Do it. Invent a new offense here. And so all of a sudden, like overnight, I think that the Carolina job just got a lot more attractive to Sean Payton. But, and this is a big but, it could be that the Saints basically say we are not, period, not trading him within the division. So I think that's an interesting story to follow the rest of the way.
And the other reality is if the Panthers do try to go all in to get him, it drives up the price that maybe another team would have to sacrifice to get Peyton if it is the Chargers or someone else with the ammunition either currently on the roster or potentially on the roster to get Peyton the kind of team he would want. But you know what, Peter, if Sean Peyton decides I want to coach the Carolina Panthers and he gets Mickey Loomis on the phone or calls up Mrs. Benson, you know, everything he's done for the Saints at some point, if this is where he wants to go, that that factors into it. They still got to compete with the Panthers no matter who their coach is. And so it's Sean Payton. It it makes two games per year a little more fun than otherwise would be. Mike, 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 if you're the Panthers, you know, you you then would have to understand we're going to have to pay the Saints more than we would – you know, then we would have to pay another team, you know, yeah. for its coach. So, and, and I, you know, this morning, just before this, when I knew we were going to be talking about this, I started to think, okay, what's fair? Well, the starting point for what's fair is Carolina's second round pick in 23, which will be maybe the 33rd, 34th, 35th pick, but it's got to be more, whether it's a good player or, you know, a two and a four. I I don't know, you know, but this would be an unprecedented thing. Trading a coach within the division and trading a coach to a team where he can pick the most important player in that franchise for the next 10 years. It's really a fascinating story. And also, Sean Payton <laughs> would probably make far more money from David Tepper than he would from Dean Spanos or other owners out there. Right. David Tepper worth $17 billion and fully aware of the value of Sean Payton. I'd like to think that David Tepper has learned over the course of the last three years the fundamental differences between a college coach, and Sims and I talked about this yesterday as it relates to Cliff Kingsbury, and we are inching toward talking about last night's game, and it's fitting because it was the Saints and the Cardinals. College coaches who are driven by system and superior talent NFL coaches driven by maniacal work ethic, 2 a.m. every night or later, studying film of yourself and of your opponent and looking all throughout the league for any ideas, any wrinkles, any clues that could give you an edge in what comes down to what's the best play I can come up with to beat your 11 because the talent is almost identical. We have to win the chess match of the X's and the O's. It's not just, we got four plays, let's pick one, it's going to work, because our guys are faster than their guys, like in the spread offense at Texas Tech. That's the attraction of Sean Payton, because he's going to come in and he's going to go all in, and he's going to bust his ass, and he's going to give his life over to it. And that's going to be part of the value that David Tepper is buying. And he didn't realize it three years ago with Matt Rule. I think he realizes it now. And I think that's why, Peter, if it's not Sean Payton, you do start looking at all the teams out there. And where is there a coach that would come in and put in that kind of effort on the X's and O's side and be here late at night, every night, and get me to where I want to be? And what's it going to take to get him? But I, there was already a report back in May, I think, that the Panthers were eyeing Sean Payton for 2023. And the statement the Panthers gave at the time was far short of convincing and something far less than a denial that they were 
interested. So I, I think that you're right. This is something to pay close attention to because Peyton's going to, I believe, my guess of all the jobs out there, if they manage to get the first overall pick in the draft in Carolina, he's probably going to want that one. And then can he persuade the Saints to make it happen? And can he get the money he would want from David Tepper? Mike, I don't buy the argument that college coaches can't win in the NFL. I I just don't buy it. You know what I buy? I buy the argument that college coaches who don't have a quarterback can't win in the NFL. And guess what? Great NFL coaches who don't have a quarterback can't win in the NFL either. You look at what happened in Carolina. Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield behind a pretty shaky, oftentimes, offensive line. And and so that is the biggest problem that I see in Carolina. Not that Matt Rule was some lousy coach. Matt Rule knew what it took to win in the NFL. He coached under Tom Coughlin for a year. For one he year. Saw one it. year. He studied the game. One year. I get it. But he knew what it took to win in the NFL. Knowing what it takes to win in the NFL and winning in the NFL, there's a pretty thin line there. And it starts with the quarterback, and he never had one. So I don't, I don't buy that a great college coach can't win. Because you know why? When Matt Rule was at Temple, he had, uh, he had a quarterback, uh, you know, a running quarterback who's now obviously in Carolina, uh, in P.J. Walker. Uh, and then I don't even know who his quarterback was at Baylor. But in college football, you can win with lesser quarterback talent or quarterback talent that may not be able to win at the next level because you can craft an offense to win with the talent that you have. And so that's why, to me, I don't buy this thing where I've heard, oh, Kingsbury and Rule, that means you can't win uh, with a college guy. I think that's a bunch of... How about Urban Meyer? How'd Urban Meyer do with the number one overall pick in the draft? I mean, Urban Meyer is the ultimate outlier. You know, I mean, Mike, you got to consider the fact that he was totally, totally incapable of dealing with all the uh, factors that you have to deal with in the NFL. Everything for Urban Meyer was hard because he thought that whatever he said people would just snap to it. Oh, you're the great Urban Meyer. Hey, dude, you know, you're just like everybody else. And so I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy it. Uh, I mean, to me, Urban Meyer is the ultimate outlier. And I still think, I'm not saying you want to pay college coaches $8 million a year. I'm not necessarily saying that. What I am saying is that I do think that college coaches with a quarterback have every bit of, uh, as good a chance to win in the NFL as NFL coaches do. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. A team with a college coach in Cliff Kingsbury 
beat Sean Payton's former team last night, 42-34. to 34. The Saints made it interesting late. And it was just unfortunate for New Orleans. They're clinging to a 14-6 lead. The Cardinals tie the game up 14-all with a couple of minutes left in the first half. And then it's tip ball pick six. And then it's another pick six. I can't recall seeing the floodgates open that quickly with a pair of defensive touchdowns. And it's 28-14 at the half. And the Saints just aren't built, Peter, currently to come back from that. Not with Andy Dalton at quarterback. I'm surprised, and there's pick six number one, I'm surprised they didn't just go to Jameis Winston in the second half and let him go out there like he did in the fourth quarter when they were down 16 points to the Falcons week one. He told me after the game, you throw the game plan out the window. All that time you spend coming up with the game plan and how they're going to defend us, you let your playmakers make plays. Now he had a healthy Michael Thomas in week one, which makes a difference, and Jarvis Landry, who both made huge catches as the Saints came from that 16-point hole. But I was kind of thinking we'd see Jameis Winston in the second half because you know, they're down 18 points at one point. And, and again, they, they made it interesting. They cut it to eight. They had a, a shot at an onside kick to try to tie the game. But uh, Andy Dalton's not built to come back from 18 points down. And uh, uh, you know, at least we got some points. We got 76 total points, which when you compare that to the last two games, it's amazing. But uh, this was over at halftime. It, it, yeah, it's not over till it's over, but it just felt like it was over at halftime, especially when Andy Dalton stayed on the field. Well, man, I, I can't get over the Marquez, Marquez Callaway uh, tipped interception. I just, I just can't get over that. I was thinking last night, okay, go to the week Monday column or go to the week Monday column. Well, of course it's Dalton, but I'm going to put Marquez Callaway in there too. It, not only because that ball was right in his hands, right in his hands. And it goes on a pick six to Andy Dalton, which is, you know, look, I, we're not looking for fair, unfair, whatever. But all I'm saying is that interception had nothing to do with Andy Dalton. So, but look, he had an early interception deep in the red zone that was all his fault. Terrible throw. And then obviously he has another terrible throw that Isaiah Simmons makes like Spider-Man and catches I mean, that was one of the great interceptions that I've seen in a long time. What a catch. Um, but I, I'll just say this, that I think the reason that I, if I were Dennis Allen, why I didn't go with Jameis Winston, look, who knows how Jameis Winston's going to play? He hasn't played in a month. And maybe you just go in there and it, you, you try everything to just throw deep and, and, and all that. But look, Andy Dalton at that point had made one terrible throw, one bad throw that was a miracle interception, and then another throw that was right in the hands of his receiver that he tipped. And again, he still, he, you know, he threw two bad interceptions and a third one, obviously, that really hurt his team. But I'm not sure I would have made a change at halftime. And they did come back and score whatever, 34 points, you know, in the game. So, look, it's really bad right now for this team. They're 2-5. and five. 
they're on the verge of their season going down the drain. And, you know, I still think they're good enough, Mike. I really do. You know, if they could ever get a full, healthy team back, I still think they've got a chance to salvage their season. But it's getting late early in New Orleans. Well, and we're still getting used to the 17-game season. When there were 16, you get around five losses, you're getting close to lights-out time. We saw a team in right. 2008, the Patriots went 11-5 and five and didn't get in. 10-6 and six has kept teams from getting in in the past. 9-8, and eight, you're probably not going to get in with anything less than that, and you may not get in with 9-8, and eight. who knows? But with five losses through seven games, you got ten left. You got to go seven and three or better to have a chance. And even then, seven and three may not be good enough. So the Saints may already be pretty damn close to put a fork in them territory. But for the Cardinals, it keeps them in the thick of things in a division where the other three teams are three and three, and now the Cardinals are three and four despite all their struggles. Three hundred sixty-one days without winning a game at home haven't looked good, haven't looked competitive at times, people wondering if Cliff Kingsbury can survive this season. They put together one last night, and they get back DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins' presence has a lot to do with this team being good. With Hopkins and Murray both healthy, that's when they can be at their best. It was after Murray injured his ankle last year that things started to go downhill for the Arizona Cardinals. You get Hopkins healthy and Murray healthy, and they can be very good. Here's Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray on the impact of having DeAndre Hopkins back on the field after he served his six-game suspension. You saw it, right? I mean, it was a different-looking uh, deal out there with him and the confidence that the other guys around him play with. Um, it's good to have him back. I think once he really gets in shape, you know, gets back in the runner routes, comfortable on offense, um, he can really do some things. Oh, it was great. It was great. You know, his, his energy is... Uh... I mean, obviously, he's as talented as ever. But just having him out there, he was, you know, didn't, didn't look like he had any rust. You know, knocked it off real quick if he had any. Um, but just his communication, you know, his feel for the game, and all of that, you can't put a price tag on it. Uh, apologies if you couldn't hear that very well. I know I couldn't, so I don't know what the hell they said. Regardless, DeAndre Hopkins came back and had 10 catches for 103 yards on 14 targets. It reminds me of when they got DeAndre Hopkins right out of the gates. Kyler Murray found a guy he's going to throw it to and throw it to and throw it to and throw it to. And that's what you can do with DeAndre Hopkins. So he came back and he proved he's still the guy he always was. Now he's got to stay healthy. And I think he got into his PED situation. Let's not act like that never happened. He got into that because he was trying to get and stay healthy. He got busted and he served six games for it. And I know he's got, I know he's still, we won't let it go. But the bottom line is, Tested positive. He served the six games, and it's over. Now he's back, clean slate, and uh, looking pretty good, Peter. You know what's interesting? I was thinking this last night, Mike. He's got 11 games. The way that he's going to be used in that offense, it's not impossible to think that he could have an 80 or 90 catch season, even playing 11 games, because Kyler Murray is going to feed him until he can't be fed anymore. And I think that's the way exactly it should be. There was one throw on that reel. It was a throw up the right sideline, a back shoulder throw, that if you ask me what's the most important thing about the trust 
between a quarterback and a receiver. It is the ability to know precisely where he is with a back shoulder throw. Tom Brady always used to say when he was in New England and he had veteran guys, the only thing I want to know is exactly where they're going to be. And not on that particular route, but where they're going to be, period. And right there, even though he hadn't played with them for six weeks, Kyler Murray knew precisely where his receiver was going to be. And so he threw it there. And DeAndre Hopkins turned around and there was the ball. And so to me, I think that this changes the game for Arizona. I don't know if they can be great. I'm not sure their defense can be good enough to make a playoff run. Uh, But I do think this helps them at least be the kind of quasi-explosive offense that can be dangerous to play down the stretch. Well, the good news is Cliff Kingsbury, who has a pattern dating back to 2013, the Cliff can't finish graphic we show from time to time, start good to great, fall apart down the stretch. Maybe this time it's fall apart early, find your way out of the weeds and get yourself into the thick of things and get better as the season progresses. So there's some hope here for the Cardinals. And again, they're a half game behind the other three teams in the NFC West, and the NFC wild card picture is wide open this year. You win games, you get a chance to get in. But the difference between three and four and two and five is massive. But the Cards get an opportunity to keep rolling, and we'll we'll see what they can do. There also was a moment, Peter, last night where Kyler Murray was showing the kind of fire that you don't see from yeah. him. I thought Tom Brady was on the field there for a second. And... I think that that is refreshing. If you're a Cardinals fan and and you're seeing that from a guy who really doesn't show a lot, he's kind of been flatlined from a personality standpoint. I think uh, he's I think it's a little F word there. You know, I could have been playing Call of Duty at home and I'm out here doing this. I need some help on the on the field here. And uh, it's it's I, I he, there's a line there, especially when you're directing it toward your coach. But for a guy who's always been kind of docile, I, I like the idea that he got fired up. I love that. I love that. And a lot of people might look at that and say, lack of respect for the coach. And maybe there is a little bit to that. But if I'm Cliff Kingsbury, and and look, we don't know exactly what the argument was about, but I, I think, I think, that the argument had something to do with get the play in my helmet on time, will you? Come on. You know, we want to keep this rolling. We want to keep this rolling. For those who don't know it, okay, so the play clock runs down, runs down, runs down. Once it gets to 15 seconds, the head coach or whoever is the play caller can no longer speak. Communication is cut off into the player's helmet. And that, because he pointed to the helmet at one point, Mike, I think it had something to do with the relative speed of getting the play in. Maybe that's it, maybe it isn't. But if I'm Cliff Kingsbury, the one thing I'm thinking about today is this guy is taking ownership of this offense, and I like it. Whether that's entirely the case, I don't know, but that's how I read it. Well, and remember the background. The contract 
with the four-hour-per-week study clause that was just a horrible, unforced error by the Cardinals. It made Kyler Murray look bad. They eventually removed the contract. Well, you can't remove the damage that was done by the fact that they even felt compelled to put that clause in there. And I think that, probably at some level, was responsible for Kyler Murray saying, you know, if we're going to sputter, if we're going to struggle, if we're going to look like crap, I want to make sure people realize it's not because I didn't put in enough time studying the game plan or the playbook, right. or the film of the Saints' defense. Somebody else is screwing this up. So, hey, TV audience, don't blame me for this crap that you're seeing right now. Hey, Mike, was it really a mistake by the Cardinals? Or did someone with the Cardinals want to put that in the contract so that it would get out? I mean, could that be the case? Um and I don't think any of us really know the story behind that clause. I just think that uh, that there was some unhappiness inside the organization with the work ethic of the quarterback. They didn't exactly have a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning doing his homework, at least in the eyes of people, some people inside that organization. So what did they do about it? They put that clause in it. And they knew, look, that clause was going to get out. It absolutely unequivocally was going to get out. And what did it, what purpose did it serve? It served a purpose to embarrass the quarterback. That's exactly what it did. And so I, that's one of the reasons why I didn't think this was going to be a great year for the Arizona Cardinals. Because that is just... That's that's inviting mayhem into your house. It just is. And so anyway, we'll see what happens. They're three and four. Big win. Big win with a big assist to Andy Dalton and Marquez Calloway. But we'll see if they can. And, and Mike, that was their first home victory in a year. They had been 0-8 since their last victory at home. And that has been a really good home field advantage stadium, State Farm Stadium. So maybe they'll get on the right track. We'll see. They had been 7-0 and last year. It was a Thursday night week eight. They had that great game against the Packers with the gif of Aaron Rodgers and the chin strap up in his mouth and his eyes all wild like he'd just taken a shot of ayahuasca. And uh, the Packers <laughs> ended the unbeaten run of the Cardinals. But, you know, they were 10-2. and two. Peter, they were 10-2 and two Shot of 12 Ayahuasca. <laughs> and the next 12 games, including the playoffs, they were 3-9 and nine before last night. From 10-2 and two to 3-9. and nine. And now they're, they're back on the right track. And, you know, I, look, I don't put it past Michael Bidwell to think this is a good way to motivate the quarterback by having that study clause and having it get out. But you definitely undermine your relationship with your most important employee when you do it. And do you that's motivate the quarterback that way, or do you embarrass the quarterback that way? Well, you motivate him, but you turn him against you. And at some point, you're going to get bit in the ass by that. He's not going to forget that. At some point down the road, right. there's a bill that is to be paid for choosing to motivate your quarterback in that sort of a way. There's got to be right. a better way to motivate him than to embarrass him and turn yourself yeah. into the enemy 
You know, the, the, the days of the, the coach that yells and screams in the face of his player and makes the player hate him so much that the player goes out and plays well, those are over because most other coaches out there aren't going to act that way. And, hey, I'm going to go play for this guy. So that's what the Cardinals need to worry about long term. But for now, they can enjoy their win. They get their mini buy, and we'll see if they can get the 500 when they have their next contest. I believe it's next weekend in Minnesota against the Vikings, who are currently 5-1. and one. Let's take a break. When we return, we'll take a look at the rematch of Super Bowl 54, the looming game that may have sparked Kyle Shanahan's desire to trade for Christian McCaffrey. 49ers hosting the Chiefs. We'll discuss that next on this Friday edition of PFT Live, presented by Google Pixel. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 